Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church this morning as we begin our series in the five solas. We've entitled the series, Celebrating 500 Years of Grace. So what we are celebrating is the 500th anniversary of what is called the Reformation. The Reformation began on October 31st, 1517, when Martin Luther, a German monk, pounded 95 theses, 95 ideas or principles or thoughts onto the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church in Germany. And so this morning we are going to be preaching on the first of those five solas, Sola Scriptura, which is the title of the message this morning. And let me give you some background as we walk through this. And here's the background. The Reformation came at a time in the church's life when the church was not being a faithful witness to the gospel. If you remember our illustration from the book of Revelation, that Jesus is this faithful witness who is walking amongst these seven lampstands. They would have been about this tall, a first century lampstand, with a lamp that is filled with oil and has a wick. And so the lamp has to remain filled with oil, and Jesus gives us the oil of the Holy Spirit. And the wick needs to be trimmed so that the light would be bright. And Jesus comes to the church and he says, I I have to have a conversation with you, church. I love you, church. I gave my life for you, church. But I need to address some things, commend you on some things, but correct you on some things because you're mine. And I want you to shine brightly with the witness of me, Jesus Christ, the gospel. Well, he did it in the first century and he did it here In the 16th century, in the year 1517, Jesus, the one who's the faithful witness, comes and speaks to the church through this this German monk named Martin Luther. And the essence of the message that God came, that Jesus Christ came to bring to his church, is that the light is dim because you've lost the gospel. And, And in recovering the gospel, the reformers had basically five main messages that they brought to the church. Actually, Jesus, I believe, brought it to the church through these men. And here they are. The first one, sola scriptura. The second one, solus Christus. The third one, sola gratia. The fourth one, sola fide. And the fifth one, soli deo gloria. This is when you wish you would have paid attention in your Latin class, right? Everybody's going, now what does that mean? Is that Spanish? What is he saying? Is he speaking in tongues? What's going on here? Well, let me give you the translation. It is Latin. The first one, sola scriptura, scripture alone. The second one, solus Christus, Christ alone. The third one, sola gratia, grace alone. The fourth one, sola fide, faith alone. And the fifth one, soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. Christ gave the reformers this clear message that echoes down through the centuries to us today, church. And here it is on the screen. Salvation is according to God's scripture alone in Christ Jesus alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, for the glory of God alone. Today we examine the first of those five solas, sola scriptura. Because you see, the light of the church's witness must never grow dim. It grew dim in 1517, and dare we say it, it's growing a little dim today. And Jesus comes and he says to us, listen, Jesus is amongst us by his spirit. 
We read his word and he's still speaking to his church. And the basis of the Reformation really was this first sola, that that the Bible, Scripture alone is the authority to speak to my faith, what I believe, and my practice, what I do. Back then, what was taking the place of Scripture, or at least what was being held up equal to Scripture, was an iPhone. No, this iPhone represents the words and authority of the church. And it was subtle. They didn't see it. But subtly, people were beginning to maybe a little bit, not discount, but just sort of saying, you know, the Bible's okay, but what the church says, that's equal in authority. That can happen today, too. Maybe not with the church, but with your favorite self-help book or your own opinion or a commentator, whatever side of the aisle you're on. And God came and said, no, it is my word alone. Scripture stands alone as the authority over the church, over the Pope, over your own opinion, over your favorite book, over everything. It's Scripture. Sola Scriptura. Luther stood before the church and he clearly stated that his conscience could be bound. That's, that's a fancy way of saying, the only thing that's going to tell me what to do and what to believe, my conscience being bound, is God's word, not tradition, not my own opinion. I'm going to bring everything, and it must bow its knee to Jesus Christ and his word, even my favorite author. Christian or otherwise. In his famous words, when he was on trial for these 95 theses. So he, ta- he nails in these 95 theses onto this castle church door in Wittenberg, Germany. The Pope and the, the Catholic authorities find out about it. They, they bring him, they prosecute him in a court scene, if you want to look at it that way. They basically issue an edict or a, a ruling. Back then it was called a papal bull. And they say, we condemn you. And we call you to this city in Germany, and you're going to be on trial before our attorneys, and you're going to either have to repent of what you've said, or somehow prove it to be true, or we're going to kill you. And they had already killed a lot of people, burned them at the stake. And normally they would do that in a very public way. So Luther travels to this place called Worms, and it's called the Diet of Worms, which has nothing to do with what you eat, but it's a place where he's on trial, and it's 1521, and he goes through this trial, and he's saying what he believes, and he's bringing scripture to it, and he's being opposed, and at the end of the trial, they say to him, okay, listen, enough talk, bottom line, do you repent, do you retract, are you going to issue a formal apology on Twitter for what you've said? You'd have a press conference and say, I was wrong, I'm so sorry. And here are Luther's words on the screen. Unless, therefore, I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture or by the clearest reasoning, unless I am persuaded by means of the passages I have quoted from Scripture, and unless they thus render my conscience bound by the word of God, I cannot, I will not retract For it is unsafe for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. May God help me. Amen.
Where do you stand? What binds your conscience? What tells you what to believe and how to live? In a sense, what we're saying is, what's the foundation of your life? Your faith, your practice. Is it a solid foundation? Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, said these words. Matthew 7, 24 to 27, on the screen. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. We all know a little bit about winds and rains and floods, don't we? We all remember getting ready for Hurricane Irma just a a month ago and thinking it's a cat four and thinking the floods are coming, and some of you may have had to evacuate and putting the shutters up on our house, and we all understand that the house that will remain is the house that is on the solid foundation. Logic tells you that your house is not going to survive if it's on sand when the floods and the winds and the rains come. But why do we build the houses of our lives on the sands of other people's opinions? The latest self-help book, our own opinions, a political commentator we happen to like. Even the church, if it's not founded on the word of God or tradition, those are, sand, those are shifting sands. All of those will one day be proven to not be exactly correct. There's some truth there. Only the word of God Only the word of God is the foundation. Scripture alone will make us wise for salvation. That's what it says in our text. 2 Timothy 3, please turn there. Verses 14 to 17. 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 to 17. Jesus is the word incarnate. It is his word, this word right here that is the solid foundation. This is the only place, according to 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17, the only place we can go to be wise, understand salvation. I'm going to read from the text. 2 Timothy 3. 14 to 17. But as for you, Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is a pastor in modern day Turkey. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture... When when Paul wrote that, he would have been thinking of Old Testament because the New Testament was in the process of being written. A few of the Gospels were already had already been written. For Second Timothy was written a little bit later in the first century, so he's thinking all Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, means this whole thing right here. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good 
work. When we were preparing for Irma, we were preparing for a hurricane. We were preparing for winds and floods and rains. And that had to be done on the foundation that is solid. Friends, we live in a time when we are preparing for a hurricane that is far greater than a Cat 4 physical hurricane. And just like when we were getting ready for Irma, we were all watching our TVs and we were reading the experts and listening to the experts and they were telling us what to do, how to prepare, what to seal up, what to have for provisions. Do you have your escape plan? Do you have your evacuation plan? Do you have your hurricane plan? And we listen to these experts to sustain or to try to survive or be saved from the hurricane and its effects. Friends, there's only one expert that can help you and teach you and give you the grace to, to escape and survive and be safe from the hurricane that is coming, God's wrath against unrighteous sin and man. It's coming. And this is the only place where we find the wisdom for salvation according to the text. The authority is scripture. And just as the Reformation began with the affirmation, sola scriptura, so must our Reformation church begin with with sola scriptura. We need to be reformed. The church back then subtly drifted into this place where the tradition and teaching of the church suddenly became equal with scripture and authority. That can happen to you and me. It does happen to you and me because we're human. It may not look like wrong teaching in the church. It may not look like it looked like exactly for Luther. But where do we neglect the Bible? Where do we feel like yeah, it's a good book. It's got lots of wisdom. I really like it. Makes me feel warm and fuzzy, but authoritative? Eh, it's kind of up for grabs. Sufficient? Eh, probably need a lot more. Am I more excited about this? And every day I look at this and like Jesus said, look, I don't live by just bread. I live by every word that comes out of God's mouth. This word. Or am I more excited about the next book on leadership? I'm just being honest with you. Or how to build a church. They're good. But they're not the Bible. And it's so subtle, man. Functionally, the authority levels can become way too close. We may not have a pope speaking ex cathedra from the chair whose word is like the word of God, but we've got little popes who are successful and online and publish books, and they're going to lead us to our little success story. And suddenly, whether it's in our schools or whatever, our churches, our businesses, do we believe that this is authoritative and enough, sufficient, not only to build this church, but to build your business, to build your career, to build your family, how you parent? Or is this somehow deficient? It's nice for my devotions. But for my life, I'm going here. Oh, Lord, reform us. Reform us. Here's the takeaway of the message. Live your life on the authority of Scripture alone. Live your life on the authority of Scripture alone. That foundation is the only one that won't be moved by a cat four or a cat five or a cat six. Like on the word of God, I'm just standing there like, you know, Superman. David and I met this old Cuban guy who works on our cars. 
he sat outside in his backyard during the whole hurricane and just sat there and said, that hurricane is evil and I'm of God and that thing's not going to bother me. I said, are you crazy? There was this, this great sort of fence that, that was covering his back, sliding glass doors, not even shutters. And he said one time he did kind of sit back and close it a little bit so that if the big piece of debris hit him, you know. <laughs> Don't do that. But if you're standing on the word of God in Christ, let the winds and the waves come. Not going to be moved. Not because of me, but because of Jesus and his word. But if you are on anything else, you're getting washed away. It's all these pictures of these beautiful homes in the Caribbean, just washed away, like half on its side, because it was built on a foundation that wouldn't last. There are two issues in this message today. The first one is the authority of God. The second one is the sufficiency, excuse me. The first one is the authority of scripture. The second one is the sufficiency of scripture. So to some of you this morning, I want to talk to you right now about the authority of God, the authority of scripture. Do you believe that scripture is totally authoritative for your life? It's the only thing that should be speaking to your conscience about what you believe and how you live. Or do you bring in other things that are kind of equal and you kind of have a mix of scripture and some good old folk, you know, stories from Abuelita, you know, how they used to do it back in Cuba or, you know, whatever, you know, your own thoughts or the, the, the latest self-help guru. You kind of mix them all together and that's my authority. Or is scripture your authority? That's the first one. But the second one, which I think the second one is more for, for more of us, is the scripture sufficient? Is it sufficient for you? This one's more subtle, but maybe more dangerous. Can I trust what God says about his word that it is sufficient for all I need for what I believe and how I live? Or do I subtly have to bring other things in with equal authority? I think that's the point. I think the question again to ourselves is this. Have I undervalued the Bible? Have I discounted the Bible? Have I neglected the Bible. Do I view it as just another self-help book? It's got some good stuff, but you know, it's back then. That's the question for us. That's the question for us. I pray that God would give us grace, church, that this word is authoritative and this word is sufficient. Point one, the authority of scripture. In 2 Timothy 3.16, we read that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture is breathed out. This is a key doctrine for the church. This is called the doctrine of the inspiration of scripture. What does it mean? It means that these words, though written by 40 different authors, 66 books, 40 different authors, 1,500 years is the span of the writing of the Bible, from Moses in 1500 BC to John at the end of the first century. We read his writings in Revelation. 40 authors, 66 books. Yes, they were many writers, but the author is God. He breathed out his word, and these men wrote exactly God's word. 
God's word is contained in the original manuscripts of the Bible. And we have very good translations of them right here. God's word is inerrant, meaning that it has no error at all. This Bible does not ever affirm anything that is contrary to fact. Only the Bible can say that. I don't care how good the author is that you're reading right now. I don't care how successful he or she is. I don't care how many followers they have on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. I don't care how big their church is, their company is. I don't care. They are not inerrant. Only this is. And the Bible is infallible. Write those words down. Inerrant, infallible, inspiration. Go look them up. Use a good systematic theology. Grudem has a good one. It's important. It's infallible. What does that mean? Only the Bible will never lead you astray. It's infallible. It is not, the Bible is not able to lead you astray in matters of faith and in matters of practice. No other book can make that statement. Listen, friends, all of us have read books by fine Christian authors, men that I know today, that I know wrote those books with the best of intentions. And 20 years later, you know what a lot of, some of them were saying? Ah, I think I led some people astray on that one. Kind of like in football. Upon further review, this is the only one that will never, ever lead you astray. Ever. 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 That's why this is the one by which we judge all the other ones. But being infallible just doesn't, doesn't just mean that it will never lead you astray, but it will always lead you in the right direction. But it also means that only God's word will faithfully accomplish God's will 100% of the time, every single time. It, God's word will never fail. That's what that means. Why do you think that God had Paul write down in Scripture here that it was God-breathed? Look at verse 16 again. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Why write that there? Well, I remember what Corey preached about that. Maybe over a year and a half ago when he was preaching on this text. What Corey said is basically this. I think God meant to bring us back to his creative, life-giving work at the beginning of time. God spoke. He used words. And what happened? Light happened, plants happened, trees happened, fish happened, you happened. He spoke and the world was created. Only God's words can do this, not the word of man. If it's going to happen according to God's will, it will be God by God's word. Where we get in trouble is that we try to circumvent God's will, so we're trying to make it happen by man's word, and we may have temporary success, but ultimately, a storm will come and it'll get washed away. It could be like that mansion I saw in the Caribbean that was absolutely drop-dead gorgeous, and it was on its side because the sand had been washed out from underneath it. We build mansions on sand, and in the ultimate... Judgment, it gets washed away. Only God's word does God's will without fail. And this infallible piece, this inerrant piece, has wrapped within it the most important piece, life. Look at verse 15. Verse 15. 
And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is what Luther was saying. Here is what makes us wise for salvation. Not some church edict. Not some indulgence. I pay Rome so they can build the Sistine Chapel and they promise that I'll get into heaven. Or at least, you know, things won't be as bad when I die. No, no, no. It's God's word. and God's word alone. God's word brings life as the spirit comes and Gives us understanding. This is why we preach it every Sunday. This is why I get so animated about it every Sunday. This is why we spend 20 plus hours preparing this message. Looking at the Greek. Looking at the Hebrew. Because this is the word of God. Oh, love it, church. Love it. We sang these words this morning. And I love this. I think that Paul is thinking... And God's inspiring him to write this God-breathed. I think he's thinking about Ezekiel 37. We sang it this morning. Awake, awake, awake my soul. Ezekiel 37, 4 and 5. When God spoke to Ezekiel, and there was a bunch of spiritually dead, corpse-like people. Hello? (laughs) That's me. On Monday morning. Monday I feel most corpse-like. And what does he say to Ezekiel? Then he said to him, excuse me, then he said to me, Ezekiel speaking now, quoting God, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. Oh, church, life is found here. It's found in Christ alone by the merits of his sacrifice alone. That's next week. Getting him ready. But his spirit causes this word. This I want to eat this every day. I have nothing without this. This judges everything else. God breathes out his word on me and gives me life. Have you experienced the life-giving word of God, church? Has your heart been stirred and animated by God's word? One of my favorite uh, fairy tales is Pinocchio. You're thinking, oh, he must be a liar. <laughs> but what I love is, is, is this, it's written by an Italian guy, by the way, and it's got gospel all over it, all right? But what I love is this, this little creation of Geppetto, this little inanimate wooden little creature. Eventually, at the end, what happens to him? Comes alive. Comes a little boy. God, only God can do that. Listen, if a dream has died or is in the process of dying, don't blame God, because it may not be his dream for you. His dream for you will live by his word, in his timing. No one can kill it. But if I'm trying to make my dream happen with man's words, it'd be like Pinocchio. (laughs) It's going to live for a while. (laughs) But there's no life. And it sucks out your life trying to make it happen. You're up there making Pinocchio jump around. And you just one day go, I'm exhausted. And that's when we come to the Lord and he holds us. And he says, here's what I have for you. And no one, no one can keep it from you. That's God's word. And in verse 16, what do we see here? All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable. Are you there? Look at that word with me. This is good stuff. Put your fingers on it. 
All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. God's word is the authority. It teaches me. It tells me the truth. It reproves me when I need to have my heart exposed. And I need to have God just say, listen, I love you, son, but you got to see this. It corrects me. Instead of going down this road that ends in a cliff, God says, no, go down this road that ends in a beautiful meadow and a nice, beautiful stream and a brook and lots of food. And it trains me in righteousness. It teaches me how to live in a way that honors God. It teaches us church how to be a church that burns brightly with the gospel. Do you come to it every day with faith? Oh, I pray you do. And do you come to it believing that it's sufficient? Point two. See, this was the real point in the Reformation. A lot of people would have said, oh yeah, this is the word of God, but it's not quite sufficient. The Pope's got to add something to it. The church has to add something to it. So when the Pope was speaking ex cathedra, that just means in the chair, okay, the certain chair, and when he spoke, they would say, it's as infallible, it's as authoritative as the word of God. And Martin Luther said, no, because popes make mistakes. And he was right. They wanted to kill him for saying that, but he was right. Look at verse 15 again. From childhood you'd have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The sufficiency of scripture starts with the most important thing, salvation. The greatest need of any human being is for salvation. Listen, all philosophers down through the ages are trying to figure out the meaning of life. What they're trying to figure out is they know there's something wrong. Buddha would say it is desires that have become inordinate. So you must die to all your desires. Hinduism would say you just have to find all of these gods. Islam would say that it's idolatry. So you just have to have one God and would reject the God of the Bible and introduce a set of writings that are not the Bible, but put them above the Bible. Judaism would say it's by your works. Only the biblical faith, Christianity says, that salvation, the purpose of mankind, is to worship God. And Jesus alone makes that possible by dealing with sin that hinders us from doing that and causes our hearts to not worship God, but worship self and everything else. And only the Bible, only Jesus, here is where you have salvation revealed and hope given. That's primary. It's primary in the Reformation. Next week we'll do solus Christus. It's by Christ alone. Not by your works, not by indulgences, not by anything else. He's made the way through his body, a new and living way. But in verse 17 we also see that, that, that Scripture is also enables us and equips us for every good work. This is exciting. It's exciting. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture alone has the power to train us. So this is like a personal trainer. This This is it right here. To train us to do the very good works that God has prepared beforehand for us to do. Not works that are saving us, Christ's work saved us, but works that God has prepared for you and me. You want to unlock your future? You want to unlock what the good works are for you? You want to know what's, what God has for you? It, it's in his word as, it, as it's applied and taught and lived out in the context of the local church. I pray that would be encouraging, church. 
I pray that God this morning would give you much grace. That he is preparing you by his word. It would give you hope. It would give you wisdom. It's sufficient to build your life, to build this church, to build your business, to build your career, to build your marriage, to build your relationships, to build your parenting. It is sufficient. Listen, God uses wisdom from others. Absolutely. But what can, what can subtly happen is, is they, that we elevate them to the same authority. So in the name of a successful business or career or education, we begin to compromise a little bit what this says because this is working so well. That's what happened in the 16th century. And the church didn't even see it. They would have told you, Luther's the heretic, we're protecting Christ. But they had allowed something else to migrate to the same authority. Have we? Have you? Have I? I think I have. And so what do I do? I do what Luther would have said. To Luther, the idea of repentance was key for the Reformation. I say, oh Lord, forgive me. Lord, I want to live my life on the authority of Scripture alone. I believe that it's inerrant. It never errs. It's always going to be truthful. I believe it's infallible. It always accomplishes your will. It will never lead me astray. I believe it's life-giving, but oh Lord, I I try to find life everywhere else. And so I just repent. Every morning, it's a race of repentance. God gives grace to the humble. He, he, He opposes the proud. How can you begin to make steps as you repent? Well, I would just say this. Be done with the false counsel of your own heart, the voices of this world. Ask God to show you where you have been or are currently are living according to the unstable and often erroneous beliefs and thoughts of your own mind or the mind or the culture of others and just cut it out. Stop it. Bring everything else under this. Ask God to really show you, Lord, functionally, have I put the Bible on the shelf in my house? Have I neglected it? What am I most excited about? What do I put most faith in? And then I would say on the positive, ask God to cultivate in you a love for his word. To that end, let me leave you with three scriptures. Let me leave you with three scriptures. They're on the screen. Write these down. Psalm 19, 7 to 8. Say, Lord... Lord, I, I want this, Lord, right here. Psalm 19, 7 to 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Oh, I need wisdom. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. What rejoices my heart? Oh, may it be the word of God. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Psalm 19, 7, 8, 7 and 8. And then ask God for a love for his word. Psalm 19, verse 10. A desire for his word. More to be desired are they than gold. They being the words of God. Even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And finally, ask God to give you a conviction that you cannot live without his word. As Jesus stated in Matthew 4, 4. But he, Jesus, answered, and he was speaking to Satan. Quite interesting. Adam and Eve fell. Actually, they didn't fall. They jumped into sin in the Garden of Eden and forfeited God's glory. Jesus passed the test in the Garden when he was fasting and won back for us the glory that God 
will give us one day eternally, which we taste and see in little increments today. But listen to what Jesus said to Satan. When Satan said to Jesus, hey, you're hungry? Turn that rock into bread and you'll be satisfied. And Jesus said, no way. I'm not going to turn the rock into bread to be satisfied. And my question to you is, are you trying to turn rock into bread and eat what God hasn't said you're supposed to eat right now just because you want to succeed, get some money, have everybody love you, make good grades, whatever. The desire in and of itself maybe isn't wrong. Jesus was hungry. And eventually he would eat. But it's putting that desire as primary. Making it equal. Whatever it takes to get that, I'm going to do. And I'll kind of fudge this one a little bit, the Bible. But this is what I'm going for. This is what I'm excited about. Listen to what Jesus said. Matthew 4.4 4. But he, Jesus, answered to Satan, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If you're more excited in the writings of man, there's something wrong. There needs to be a reformation in your heart. If I'm more excited about the the newest strategy to build a church, even to evangelize, much less these other things, there's something wrong. Here it is. Does God send teachers to help us? Absolutely. Is it good to read those things? Yes. But always like this. Never like this. How are you reading them? Has your life slid into some compromise? Are some things okay that kind of you know aren't and this kind of says don't do? Eh, you know. That's the question. The Bible is sufficient to lead us. The Bible, the Bible will always lead us into paths of righteousness. The Bible will never lead us astray. The Bible will equip us for God's works that he has called us to do. And Jesus is here loving us with this word of life. Life, church. Let us receive it. Let us pray. Worship team, please come up and join me. Lord, I I pray for each heart this morning, beginning with my own. And I say, Lord, please help us where we have subtly migrated to a place that your word doesn't necessarily hold life for us. It's good and all that. I believe in the Bible. But it's authority. Mm. It's up there with other things. It's sufficiency. Eh, It's not my go-to book. Lord, please forgive me. Lord, I thank you that you are for us. Jesus, you died for your church. Lord, you love us so much. You're pouring in your oil of your spirit. You're trimming the wicks of our lives that we might burn brightly, both for your glory and our good. Lord, we cry out as your children say, Daddy, come and give us grace to live this. Lord, may we gather together and say, Lord, teach us this morning. Spirit, come and speak to us this morning. Father, may we delight in you. May your word light our way. Illumine our minds. Magnify Jesus. For you are worthy to be magnified and to be praised. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand. Let us sing this song as our closing prayer.